0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown.
1: How's it going, Lance? It's going very well. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Good. We're here in the studio, and uh, we had a, a sort of an impromptu phone call with uh, Doreen Quinn Giuliano, who is John Juka's mom.
1: Yep. She called us to talk about the appeal process that's happening with her son, who's in Rikers Island. And the appeal is being headed by the. Uh, the, the attorney, Mark Bettero out of New York, and we got into it again with her with uh, just what's going on with him in prison and how he's been wrongfully convicted and the prosecution and the whole system itself just being sort of corrupt.
0: Yeah, and she texted or emailed uh some some clips and some video uh segments so we're we're gonna scatter those throughout the episode but she said that she listened to our last episode with brooke giddings
1: which was the purpose of her reaching out in the first place right she texted and said hey
0: there's something i want to i want to talk to you guys about you got something wrong on the last episode and i just want to address it real quick and we're like okay and uh about 45 minutes later, we're like, wow, I guess we have this week's episode.
1: Yeah, after speaking with her, because there is just so much that goes on with this case. And she even says during the course of the interview that she was never really that well-versed. Obviously she's not a lawyer. She didn't go to law school. So she was really never that well-versed in what all of the minutia means. Yeah. And she's learning as she goes. And she's very grateful that Mr. Betterow has been patient enough to sit with her and walk her through all these things and talk to her like a human being. And that's what she tries to do with us because we're not exactly sure what all the legalese, um, what all that means, uh, We know some of it, and we kind of pick it up as she talks. But, uh, yeah, we do jump in a little bit in the middle of the whole thing, but we try to keep up with her, and we do the best we can. So
0: I think this is the fifth episode that we've done in uh, John Juca's case, and uh, not all of them are available on the Apple Podcasts feed right now because of our deal with Stitcher Premium. Well, where can I get them, Tim? Well, you can get them at stitcherpremium.com.
1: But am I going to have to pay a subscription?
0: Well, yeah, it's a it's four ninety nine per month, and you get a free month if you use code MMM that stands for Missing More Murray.
1: Okay, a free month on Stitcher Premium, and I just get to listen to Crawl Space. You get the entire back catalog
0: of Crawl Space. Oh, cool! You get creator commentary. Tracks that we're doing for Missing Maura Murray. Oh, cool. It, it really is cool. It's I know pr- it's cool because I'm <laughs> sitting
1: there with you when
0: we do it. It's oh, very yeah. cool. Okay. And uh, Empty Frames season two and three that is going to be on Stitcher Premium before it is on Apple Podcasts and
1: everywhere else. So you only get our shows.
0: <laughs> that is not true. Oh, there is God. a bunch of comedy albums. There's also True Crime Garages off the record show that is very popular. And uh, you just get everything that Stitcher Premium has to offer.
1: Okay. So for four ninety nine a month using code MMM, I can get all of your shows or all of our shows, plus a bunch of uh, other exclusive content from other podcasts that I might love. That's correct. Great.
0: And so before we get into this conversation with Doreen Quinn Giuliano, we just want to play a clip from the first episode we ever did on the John Juca case with Marley Davis. And here's a few minutes of her kind of setting up the case a little bit.
2: Five years ago, I started working on a wrongful conviction case out of Brooklyn. Um, The man's name is John Juca. He was convicted in 2005 for the 2003 murder of Mark Fisher, a college student from Connecticut. And um, I actually saw a TV show about it um, that sort of – it wasn't a positive TV show by any means. But it didn't really make any sense to me, this case. It just – there was no um, linear sequence at all between – the crime and the person that ultimately got convicted. It didn't. It was just like this is what happened. This guy's bad, and he was convicted. I mean, normally you read about these cases after the fact, right? You read about their exoneration. When I googled this case, there was no exoneration, and it was just ongoing. And I, I was just amazed that he was still in prison.
0: And and is John the
2: only person in jail for this? No. So John has a co defendant named Antonio Russo who is was also sentenced to John was sentenced sentences 25 years to life for felony murder. And Tony Russo was also sentenced to 25 years to life for felony murder. And just to clarify, so felony murder, basically when somebody gets murdered in the commission of another crime and you are a participant in that separate crime, then you can be charged with that murder. So the theory of his, well, there were four separate theories, actually, of his prosecution. But one of them was that they conspired to rob Mark Fisher, him and Tony Russo conspired to rob Mark Fisher, and that that is the crime that ultimately led to this murder. So therefore, anybody involved in the robbery, and I'm using hand quotes, what could be charged with the murder. So that's basically what felony murder is, just to explain.
1: OK, so take us to the night of the murder.
2: October 12th, 2003, John met up with a bunch of people in front of a club in Manhattan. Those people included his neighbor, Albert Cleary, Albert's friend, Angel, Angel's friend from home. Mary, and Mark Fisher, who was Angel's friend from college, and the five of them um, were kind of milling around, deciding what to do. And John said, "My parents aren't home. Let's go back to my house in Brooklyn." At some point, Albert and Angel leave, and they go back to Albert's house. And then, at some point, everybody else leaves, and except for Mark, um, at five fifty-seven, um, John calls Albert. Basically, in that phone call, he says to Albert, "Mark." is on his way to your house and then there's no more activity on john's phone at 557 there's a phone call from john to albert and it's the longest phone call in this case it's two minutes long and basically john is telling albert mark is on his way to your house uh, presumably because that's where angel was right and that's the only person he knew prior to this night so presumably he would want to go get the only person he knew it makes sense at 6 so we go from 557 to now 6 the first 911 call is, is made. And it's for shots fired. And Mark is found across the street from Albert's house, um, like directly across the street from Albert's house. He's been shot five times. Um, there's two bullet casings. A neighbor heard a guy and a girl arguing just before the gunshots.
0: And there's some spoken word poetry that John Juca wrote from his blog, John Juca blog, and uh, it was recorded by someone named Christopher Ketchum. He's a journalist. And uh, so there's a few minutes here that we want to play right now, but there's also uh, another longer segment that we're going to play during the meat of the episode
1: and if you haven't checked out john's writing please do so it is so powerful and to hear people narrate it like um this mr ketchum did also in a previous john juca episode we had holt mccallany he he read something called the march of the super rats so john is like prolific in his writing
0: and here's a clip and this one is called baptism of fire
3: baptism of fire. Imagine the worst day of your life. Can you remember what it was and how you felt the day something devastating happens to you? Maybe a life-changing illness or injury or news of a loved one dying? Think about whatever it was that made it unbearable and try to relive the pain hopelessness, the despair that you felt. Now imagine living that day and feeling those emotions every day for the rest of your life with no end in sight. That's my daily reality and it takes everything I have to not break down sobbing (sighs) ...at any moment... ...or scream until I lose my mind... ...or think about ending it all... ...because it's... it's just... ...it's too wrong... ...to take it much longer. This has been my existence for the past 12 years... ...and it's what I have to look forward to... ...on the horizon forever. To tell you the truth... ...for me, my worst day in the street was still better than my best day in this inferno. Because when I was out, no matter what I was going through, I knew it would pass. So you would you would have to amplify the worst day of your life by 1,000 to really understand the experience of a man condemned to life in prison.
0: And here is the part in our last episode with Brooke Giddings where we talked about the John Juka case. We talk to and about John Juka and uh, the wrongful conviction of John Juca and we've spoken to him on the phone uh, for this show. And just randomly, he'll call occasionally, um, and it's always like kind of like a nerve, a kind of like a nervous moment because it's like, of course I'm going to answer, but you walk on eggshells. It's like I don't even want to ask him how are you doing today. But it's the most normal thing to ask, you know? And he's like, I'm hanging in there. It's like I, I know I know that's
1: probably terrible compared to what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to tell you what I'm doing. Also, you have six minutes for the phone call. Right. And you don't wanna he you don't Waste want him to it. think yeah. that he's like, I'm not here to talk pleasantries with you right now. <laughs> yeah. I have what six minutes. What do you minutes. think? What do you fucking think it's yeah. like in Rikers Island? Tim? Yeah, it's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's just a pleasantry. But that but that's what I mean. It's like I I can't relate to him. You know, like uh, I, I can understand where he is and how he got there, but I cannot relate to him. And in fact, it even s- to such an extent that it kind of makes me nervous to
1: talk to him. Are you familiar with the uh, John Juca case? I'm not. Uh, in a nutshell, he was convicted for the murder of a youth uh, after a party. And the person who actually performed the murder is also in jail. And for some reason, instead of letting him out, and all of the witnesses have recanted, instead of letting him out, they have put him in Rikers to break him. He just has to say... His conviction was overturned by an appellate uh, court. And so instead,
0: so I guess by law, he can't be in in a federal penitentiary because he's not a convicted murderer. So they had to move him somewhere else and they chose Rikers.
4: So they moved him to Rikers until he gets a new trial or until he makes a plea agreement. But his
1: his new trials keep getting, his requests get denied. And he has moments in the courtroom where he has to get emotional and yell at the judge and say, How can you do this to me? And then the newspapers hit that and they're, you know, convicted. uh, uh, Grid Kid Slayer slayer, uh, freaks out in court. You know, they have these like headline splashy. Uh, titles for for their articles. The New York Daily
0: News. Yeah, they they have covered uh, the case for a lot of years. Um, But if you ever want to cover it, I would recommend it. And uh, his mom... I
4: live my life on (laughs) eggshells.
0: His mom, Doreen, is an incredible woman. And we've met her and spoken to her several times. She went undercover on her own accord and uh, got recordings from one of the jurors uh, who said told her that he knew john before uh they before the trial and she approached that she gave that to the judges and they actually threw it out okay and here is the entire conversation with doreen quinn giuliano john juca's mom follow us on twitter at crawlspace pod and follow us on instagram and facebook at crawlspace podcast thank you
4: I um, was recently listening to uh, your the podcast with Brooke Jettings.
0: Yeah, Giddings. Yeah. On it. Hmm.
4: Giddings. Yes. And uh, it just so happens I listened to her podcast also on Convicted. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. She's very good. She is. And uh, towards the end of the podcast, you mentioned my son John Juker, in yep. his case. And when um, I went undercover and I found uh, serious misconduct in the jury box. So there is one thing that I wanted to correct you on. You had mentioned to Brooke that the juror had said to me that he knew John. When in fact, he never said he knew John. He actually said he knew John's friend.
1: Oh, okay.
4: Yeah. and, And... Um, You know, the people who, who he hung out with and the reason why we got back into court, sort of, in front of at least the trial judge, was based on things that he said to me, which was he read the newspapers. He knew John's friends. He his cousin Linda dated one of John's friends and he hated John because he was Jewish So those were the issues. Those were uh, the facts that we got back into court with. Um, I think I explained to you in the past on another podcast that Judge Maris, the trial judge, he didn't hold a hearing to have the tapes exposed to the public and to the press where – they would have heard everything that the juror said to me. And when you're being chosen for um, a jury, uh, which is considered voir dire, you have to take an oath, an oath to tell the truth. And they ask you questions, you fill out a questionnaire. And one of those questions are if you know the defendant or the case or any of the defendant's friends or family members and he lied the juror lied he said no so he was um committing a crime which was perjury and contempt of court and we proved that um because of you know right from his own mouth so i just wanted to clear that up because when i did uh get the recordings and i Brought them into John's lawyer at the time. Uh, his name was Lloyd Epstein. I was disappointed. And I said, the only thing is, Lloyd, he says that he didn't know my son. And Lloyd said, actually, Doreen, that's a good thing. Because now the courts can't claim that this was conspired with um, John and the juror. He didn't um do it because he knew him uh he knew of him which was actually better for us do you understand
1: oh yeah yeah totally Mm -hmm. i just want to make sure that we didn't do anything harmful to anything like involving his release or anything by saying something inaccurate
4: no 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 um for all your viewers who don't know the story Um, yes, I I did go undercover. I did expose all of this misconduct but the judge didn't hold a hearing uh, for us to question the juror under oath and like I said, expose all the tapes. He refused to hold a hearing because he knew that everything would come out into the open. We're back in court now Tim, on a completely different issue. We're back in court now on a prosecutorial misconduct. And that is because she withheld, withheld the prosecutor on my son's case, withheld uh, favorable evidence that the jury uh, should have heard uh, to make their decision, their informed decision. And they didn't have all the information. So that's why we're back in court today.
1: And for people who don't know, you said something earlier on, that is not accurate you said that uh because john was jewish that's not accurate as well right can you do a no, little no, background that is on accurate
4: that? no 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 did i misspeak there were several issues yeah that we went to court um back in 2000 i want to say eight i'm forgetting he one of them was um you know, he read all the newspapers, which the judge told them not to read the newspapers because the judge didn't want them to be influenced by anything outside of the courtroom. Um, he knew John's friends, which he should have uh, he should have uh, expressed that. He hated John because he believed he was Jewish. He said that to me on a recording, which I turned over. And like I said, his uh, cousin Linda dated one of John's friends.
0: I think, um, but Lance was getting at that uh, that he hated John because he was Jewish based on his last name. He thought he was Jewish. Is that—is that correct?
4: Oh, I misunderstood what you <laughs> no, meant. No, yeah, no, no. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Yes, okay. exactly. He believed him to be Jewish, right? Okay. Because of his last name being Juka, he thought he was Jewish, and he his exact words was, I even cringe saying it, but he said, I hate Jews. And did you know that John was Jewish? And now I'm standing right in front of him, appalled, sickened, and stunned. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, he was Jewish. And you know how I know? Because of his last name. His last name is Juka. And the room spun for me. (laughs) I was just like, uh, oh, I really, in the recording, you could hear me uh, stumble over my words. I was, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So he hated him. And then he goes, and that's my right. I have a right to be prejudiced. That's what he said. And, I mean, he certainly, yeah. he certainly
1: has a right to be prejudiced. So you can't really stop somebody from having that innate thing in their brain that makes them ignorant. Ignorant, But mm-hmm. he, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have a right to, it doesn't matter if John was Jewish mm-hmm. or Mexican or Catholic mm-hmm. or whatever. He doesn't have a right to take that ignorance and, and, and turn it into something that's going to condemn somebody for the rest of their life.
4: Right. Because of your hatred. Exactly. But I guess
1: I guess it's like uh, not so much the chicken and the egg thing, but that's the only analogy I can think of. But if you are that ignorant, then you don't care what you do with your words. Yeah, you don't see exactly. it, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Yikes.
4: You know, I remember him telling me also that there was this woman, this um, African-American woman with long nail. That's how he described it to me. And she even said, but there was no evidence. And he said to her, but don't worry, I know because of stuff that you don't know. And John's lawyer took that sentence, narrowed it down, put it in his motion, and his argument was he wasn't basing his decision on what went on in court. He is basing his decision on stuff that happened outside of court for whatever it was he knew that they didn't know. In addition, he read the newspapers, so therefore he was getting his information from the tabloids other than the facts of the case in the courtroom.
1: This was something that he had told another juror, the person that he described as a black woman with long fingernails, she was another juror. Correct. And
4: that's what he told me, and that's how he worded it, because I'm trying to word it exactly the way he did to me and how, of course, it's on the recording. So if that woman is out there somewhere and she has any sort of information, it would be great if she came forward because she is the one that said, but there was no evidence.
0: That would be great. So Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So she even knew she had the brains to know that how can we convict this guy on nothing?
1: Right.
0: Now, uh, you're talking about being back in court, and you're talking about a motion. Is This, uh, this is the motion that uh, Mark Bedereau filed uh, back on December 27th of 2018? Correct. Okay. Uh,
4: th- that is based on prosecutorial misconduct. She was repeatedly asked for any um, material that was favorable to the defense, and she kept insisting that there wasn't any when in fact there was, and she deliberately hid it. So that brings us back into court, and that is considered a Brady, Brady versus Maryland, and it is a violation to John's constitutional right to a fair trial. There's so many layers to this case, and I kept insisting that he did not get a fair trial, and that is the reason why I went undercover to find it. When we couldn't even get a hearing to expose the misconduct, I continued to dig, and then I found prosecutorial misconduct that um, is now directly in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office.
1: Can you uh, describe a little bit about Brady versus Maryland, just so we have a sense of what the background on that is?
4: So essentially what it is is if there's any evidence that you have in your possession, meaning the district attorney, that could possibly um, benefit the defense that you need to turn it over. And she had a non-written agreement with a jailhouse liar that he would benefit in his own case. Uh, He had a lot of troubles. He was uh, addicted to drugs. He um, ha- had a series of, uh, of issues, and one of them was a career criminal, being you know going in and out of uh, a court and drug programs and rehabilitation centers. And anyway, it's a very long story, but to make a long story short, he was benefiting from. Um, testifying against my son falsely and she was supposed to turn over the evidence that he was benefiting Mm -hmm. and she didn't as a matter of fact she took it a step further because when asked by John's lawyer at the time over and over again that this informant must be benefiting in some way she ridiculed John's lawyer, in front of the jury, and said that uh, he's finally doing the right thing. He cleaned up his act, meaning the informant, and John's lawyer would like you to believe otherwise. She took it upon herself to go to court because he had a warrant for his arrest, and she got him excused from going to prison for three and a half to seven years, and instead he went home. She was supposed to turn that over to the jury so they could decide whether he is being truthful well, that- in his testimony or not. It was their decision to to weigh all the evidence, and she hid that from him, yeah, from them.
0: Seems like it's so that's very crazy, clear. Yeah, it's very clear that he benefited from that.
4: But not only once over and over and over again and she had the opportunity to tell the jury because she was asked and she hid it that it was her she was the prosecutor who went to court for him on his behalf when he was in trouble and he had a warrant she purposely hid it so that essentially is a brady violation You have to turn over. And even if you're unsure that it could benefit and change the decision of the jury, even if you're unsure, you should play it safe and say, look, I'm the one who went there and got him off the hook. But she didn't. And she knew that it would change their minds on his testimony on whether it was truthful or not. And she said to them, he is finally doing the right thing he he was doing good in his drug program when in fact he absconded several times he was doing cocaine he violated over and over and over again and he kept getting cleared he never went to prison for it because she when she went on his behalf to his warrant hearing she had an off-the-bench conversation with the judge, and then he went home. So that's a benefit. She should have turned that over. And John didn't get a fair trial. And that's all we've been asking for, the, for 14 years now, Lance, Tim. 14 years of begging the courts for a fair trial.
0: What happens with this motion now? Uh, it it takes some time for them to look at, but I mean, it, d- to us listening, does it sounds like a like a open and shut uh, scenario? I know that's probably not the way this kind of thing works, but what happens now?
4: Well, it's devastating to me, and I don't want to stop crying on the phone. But John had eleven appeals, denial after denial. Okay, so where we stand now, yes, it does seem like an opening shut case. The second department, the court, court of Appeals, reversed John's conviction, threw it out, agreed that he did not have a fair trial. And the Brooklyn District Attorney, instead of preparing for trial, they decided to appeal the second department's decision and now take it to a higher court, the New York State Court of Appeals, to argue the fact that they believe the second department was wrong about throwing out the conviction. So that just delays the process. They also asked Judge Danny Chun not to give John bail. So John now sits in Rikers Island, which we all know that is a very violent place.
0: Here's John Juca in his own words talking about what it's like at Rikers Island.
3: We're off lockdown
5: and there were three longs today, but that's not unusual. This place is a madhouse. I'm glad the lockdown didn't last too long because they are pure misery. No showers, no phone, no conversation with other human beings, just yourself. A six-by-nine-foot closet with steel walls and steel bars. But now I'm out of the frying pan and into the fire. Three people got cut us bad today, and the day isn't even over yet. Today, my thoughts are on my mother and my loved ones and on you. The people who believe in me and know that I'm innocent. The system is not perfect, and I refuse to let my life become collateral damage. As the ball dropped, I couldn't help but think that I'm not supposed to be here. I heard Rikers Island was listed as one of the top most dangerous prisons in the United States, and it's living up to its name. There are so many situations to navigate and avoid getting sucked into. Prison politics, predators, mentally ill inmates, guards, brutality, racism on both sides, extortion teams, random and calculated violence, depression, anxiety, and much more. And through it all, I have to stay focused on my case. And proving my
4: innocence. Not only did he do 14 years, but now he's thrown into the lion's den and waiting for the New York State Court of Appeals to look over all of this evidence and decide whether the second department was right in their decision or not. Eric Gonzalez, the Brooklyn District Attorney, is appealing that decision. Which only delays. Then after we win in the New York State Court of Appeals and they decide that the second department is correct, then they have to prepare for trial, which will take another year or so. So John is going to languish in prison some more because Danny Chun would not give him bail and send him home. And I'm not saying to go out partying, sit home possibly with the ankle bracelet and the safety of his home instead of playing Russian roulette with my son's life in Rikers Island.
1: What is it that you think they're afraid of if they allow your son to leave Rikers Island even with an ankle bracelet? What is the repercussion that could happen to the court system?
4: (laughs) I laugh. This is just to squeeze John into pleading guilty. Just please, please let me out. This place is horrendous. All right, all right. Whatever you say. I'm guilty, I'm guilty. That's what they're trying to do to John. They're trying to get him to cop out to a plea, and then they could tell the public, see, we were right all along. He's guilty, right? If he's home safe, he's he's not going to cop out to something he didn't do. He's safe. He doesn't have to worry about ducking uh, knife fights.
0: I see. So, so if he's home, their strategy is he's not going to admit guilt just to get the conviction. Uh, you know, get the process over with. But how, as a mom, how do you feel about that? Do you? I know we we were kind of messaging about this uh, very topic, and uh, I know it's it must be impossibly difficult to deal with but do you would you just want him to just say yeah i'm guilty get this process over with and get him home
4: i don't know if i should admit that on the air you know because there's a lot of lawyers and friends and family that are just gonna say please Doreen, hold out
0: yeah well i mean i think uh, yeah i mean i think i I think it's okay to have your opinion change uh, minute by minute on this by the way
4: oh i beg john to cop out (laughs) you're gonna make me cry I begged him. I said, just come home. You know, he, he wants the opportunity to free his, clear his name. He wants the opportunity to question at a hearing, Nicolazzi on her actions, Detective Burns, and put them under the spotlight and confess what they did to him. I just want him safe. And, of course, John wants to be safe. It's a madhouse there. You don't get to sleep. It's bad. It's it's very, very stressful. But what's more important is for him to come home, for him to be safe. So, yes, I begged him. I said, just cop out. Just say you're guilty. And he's holding strong right now. But um, I know he's weakening. What would you do? If it was your son or daughter in prison playing Russian roulette, it's only a matter of time before John is the one that gets stabbed. And let's hope and pray that he survives it. You open up the newspaper and you see cops, uh, correction officers getting their faces slashed and people being murdered in their cells. This is the reason why de Blasio wants to shut it down. And this is where Eric Gonzalez and Danny Chun, let my son rot and suffer. If, if he could possibly be innocent, don't you want to keep him safe? And then during trial, see if they could prove it. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care. Backwards. They just don't care. Yeah, it's so backwards. <sighs> they want to hold on to the conviction they don't want the public to believe that they are putting away innocent people mistakes are made and they made a big one
0: now i know that um that trying to get a job for john if he were to to plead out and and have this murder conviction for the rest of his life i know it may uh make getting a job at fedex for example difficult but there's so many other opportunities at this point in in 2019 now Um, you know, I, we, we, me and Lance don't, don't need a criminal background check to do what we do. Like, uh, -hmm. I, I think John could raise hell as a podcaster. Just saying.
4: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, he has, I mean, he's a good writer, as you know, You read some of his blogs, John could write very well. He could write a book. Um, and maybe make some changes in this world by writing.
1: He's going to go on to be a staunch advocate for the wrongfully convicted, as you are. And he's got a very fortunate part. I I know it sounds uh, not completely accurate to say the word fortunate in this situation, but he is very fortunate to have a support system like yourself because some people, most people that go to prison and are wrongfully convicted, if they do end up getting out after 20 years, 30 years, they get They get this like paltry pay, payment, and it doesn't go anywhere and they go back into the same broken s- society and the same broken system that got them into trouble in the first place and then they're they're even worse off, but if they get it at all yep. if they get it at, yeah and and you being there for John, I think is is worth him fighting for to get out because you guys are going to be a force when you when he gets out and you're and maybe that's what they're afraid of. Maybe maybe that's what the the system is afraid of, having the two of you being there and and fighting for these causes and just having them own up to their mistakes, because it's literally costing people's lives and it's costing way too much money to keep them in there.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of money for when they are exonerated uh, from, you know, some states have to pay up uh, for the prosecutor's um, misconduct. You know, we could solve this if they just held accountable for their misconduct and they won't make such egregious mistakes or deliberate.
0: What would that mean for Anna Siganigalazi? Would would that mean some kind of, uh, you know, indictment herself if she was found?
4: Accountability? Yeah, I mean, but
0: but legally. Would she be disbarred? Yeah, would she be disciplined in any way if they found prosecution? (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Prosecutorial. <laughs> yes. Prosecutorial. <laughs> Prosecutorial misconduct.
4: It's a tongue twister, that's for sure. Um, well, they have an absolute immunity, so she will not be held accountable for her misconduct. There is blatant misconduct. So what's I've the point? Yeah,
1: sorry to interrupt. How does she, You said she has immunity. How does she, how does she get immunity?
4: By being a prosecutor.
1: As a prosecutor, you automatically get a immunity from being disbarred if you if you violate something like brady versus maryland
4: oh wait you said uh, disbarred uh you automatically get uh, immunity for being disbarred uh no she's disbarred so now she's a civilian so then she could be sued but
0: oh. under oh, the okay.
4: umbrella of being a prosecutor she's protected
0: i see okay but okay if,
4: but she wouldn't be able to do what she did if she did. If she wasn't a prosecutor. So now, let's go on back to being disbarred due to uh, misconduct. Um, then can I go after her? I don't know. I'll have to refer to a, a lawyer about that.
1: <laughs> well, you, you got a good one.
4: I yeah. Um, I know. I was told that if a prosecutor takes off of the takes off the hat of being a prosecutor and acts. As an investigator, then that prosecutor can be sued. you understand yeah interesting so yeah, so if she stepped out of bounds by investigating John's case, she can be sued
0: hmm. personally, right.
4: she is no I longer see. acting as a prosecutor.
0: Right, okay. It's
4: two separate, because I could go after a cop or a private investigator, right? I could see sure. them yeah. if they did wrong. Yeah. So if she did that, then yes, she could be held uh, accountable for what she did to John. Okay. Why Why we're back in court now is, um, like I said, she uh, she hid evidence that could possibly have changed the verdict. Right. So... Uh as far as investigating John's case, yes, I do believe that she did.
1: And i was uh when when you had mentioned the Brady versus Maryland uh rule, I, I, I quickly looked it up and it's not it seems like it's almost so like not open ended, I don't know what the words look for, but it says even if there's a chance of this, it's not like a definite yes or no, like black or white, it's even if there's a chance that this evidence could do this. It's it's just remarkable to me that this isn't um it's remarkable to me that this even happened.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like Mark Betero is going to uh you know argue the heck out of this and uh
1: hopefully this next decision is is in your favor. So when is that happening? What's what's the time frame from uh here on out?
4: Okay, so he just recently submitted the motion. Yeah. And now I believe they have about 30 days to reply, meaning the district attorney's office has 30 days to reply. And then the judges and the New York state, uh, court of appeals reviews and then puts us on the calendar. So it could be March, April, May that they give us a calendar date. But if all those dates are taken, then we could go, December, November, December, or into 2020. But keep in mind, as they're looking for a date to put us on the calendar to hear our arguments, John sits in Rikers.
1: Yeah, right. That's that's the that's the catch-22. How is
0: John? I, I assume you visited him uh, over the holidays?
4: I, I did, and it was a madhouse. It's bad. Drugs is rampant. They're constantly searching and uh, double and triple searching visitors who come in through the metal detector. We have to go through three metal detectors, a pat down search, and it isn't the visitors who are bringing it in. I don't know how it's getting in. I don't want to make uh, assumptions, but well, you are going through. <laughs> it's how, how are the visitors bringing it into the <laughs> inmates when you're? searched and then searched again and then searched again. Yeah. How, where are you sticking it? It's not happening. Yeah. And and, and the
0: inmates can't, uh, you know, make, make the drugs, uh, all of the drugs from inside. Right. Huh. That's a mystery.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's a mystery. (laughs) So then John sleeping in a dorm, the noise is very, very loud. There are correction offices that, pitch one inmate against the other just to watch them fight yeah
1: this goes on you do a quick uh, a quick search on the uh, worst prisons and you know this i'm not telling you something you don't know more speaking to the people who are listening rikers island is the number one worst prison in america without a without a search search anywhere and it is the number one worst prison
4: and that's where they have john an innocent man you wouldn't believe the stuff that goes on. They throw old people in there. They throw young people, 17-year-olds, that never got in trouble in their life amongst these hardened criminals and they have to fend for themselves. It's terrible. And this is just a way to break a person, to say I'm guilty, so that they can consider you know, another conviction. And that's the whole thing with prosecutors in our system. The incentive, the their incentive is to get convictions, to get a raise. It's all about money. Money, money, money. Because yeah. if I get if I have a bunch of losses on my record, I'm not gonna get a raise. And even if you become a prosecutor with good intentions, I think eventually you're gonna turn because you want a raise. And the only way you're gonna get a raise is if you convict.
0: You sent us uh, this poem that John wrote, and it was read by uh, Christopher Ketchum.
3: Pariah Town. I live with hundreds of alpha males that were plucked from every neighborhood, town, and city across New York State. After getting to know many of them, I've come to the conclusion that alpha male is just another term for asshole. Whether they're from Buffalo... Albany or New York City, most of them have certain qualities in common. The dictionary defines them as, quote, socially dominant individuals. But all that actually means is that they're overbearing, confrontational, petty, relentless, and think they are the authority on everything. The words, I don't know, or I'm sorry, or I was wrong, are not in their vocabulary. They make mountains out of molehills, cause chaos over minor things, and use principle, so-called, as an excuse for defying common sense. Anyone with half a brain could see that most of the battles these alpha males fight over is not worth the energy to fight. The weak-minded follow the feeble-minded, who happen to be louder and more assertive. I always thought the, the strong were supposed to protect the weak, not prey on them which sometimes makes me a stranger in a strange land, an outlaw in Pariah Town. I'm also surrounded by characters, con men, and silver-tongued Bengalis, many of them famous or infamous. I was in Greenhaven with Ronnie DeFeo from the Amityville Horror Case for six years. He complained that no one sent him any holiday cards. In the back of my, my mind, I used to think, You killed your whole family. Who the heck is left to send you a card? John Gotti and Crazy Joe Gallo were also both in Greenhaven years ago. I was in Clinton with serial killer Joel Rifkin, Fat Cat, a few of the wild cowboys, and Joey Fama. And I have stories about them all. Most of them do not suffer from mental illness. They enjoy it. Tupac was also in Clinton years ago, and I was in the same reception cell that he inhabited. I currently use the same phone every day that Larry Davis was using when he was murdered, stabbed to death by another inmate. I see Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, almost every day. His ID card is always getting stolen by both inmates and guards. Guards accuse him of violating some minor infraction and then demand to see his prison issue ID card. Several weeks later, it pops up on eBay or some other online auction site. The Central Park Rapist is here, as well as the Wendy's Massacre assailant. I used to be a Democrat until I met some of these rays of sunshine. Mark David Chapman is lurking around the state prison system somewhere, and it's only a matter of time before I bump into him also crossed, crossed paths with several mob guys, including Paul Doc Gaccioni, who says he mentioned me in one or two sentences in his upcoming book. Joe Sullivan, who just died a few weeks ago. Sammy Clams Garacci. Tony Roach Rampino. Benny the Blade Garatano, who says he quit the mafia because they are all a bunch of rats. Simon Dede Dage, whose brother committed a double homicide and scores nightclub and let him take the fall. Vinnie Orena, whose, gar- whose grandfather is the notorious Vic Orena, a boss in organized crime. And Johnny Burke, who was given two life sentences plus 40 years in federal prison and 20 to life in New York State Prison because he wouldn't rat on John Gotti Jr. All he had to do was testify against John Gotti and he would be home with his family right now. Gotti was the one they really wanted. I walk the yard with him every day and jokingly refer to him as the yard father. He is not amused. Furthermore, I'm in here with a roster of some of the biggest drug dealers New York has ever seen. Some of these guys were moving hundreds of kilos a week and have trial transcripts that read like urban novels, greed, treachery, betrayal. In their neighborhood, they may have been the man. In here, they're just another alpha male. Believe me, they don't bling-bling and sing-sing.
0: Those are people he's just come across at, in Rikers or his whole journey through the system?
4: Oh, his whole journey. Uh, most of uh, it was Upstate Correctional Facility, Clinton Correctional Facility, sing Sing. Um, Green Haven, so his journey. Yeah, so can you imagine a 21-year-old man from John Jay College on a student thrown into prison with these type of men?
1: It's incredible. Sing Sing, he, so he was in Sing Sing. That, that is in the top five worst prisons mm-hmm. in America. I mean, that that's housed some pretty crazy criminals. Albert Fish. Yep. Where, uh, what else, where else has he been?
4: Clinton, Clinton Correctional Facility, Upstate Correctional Facility, um, you name it. He's been 14 years of bouncing from prison to prison.
1: Well, he I is think a... he
4: mentioned some of them, uh, in his blog. That's a blog. Okay. That John wrote.
1: Oh, okay, okay. John
4: John Juke's blog, if you go on to John Juke's blog, you could get to read his, um, his uh, journals.
0: Okay, and so that was a blog post uh, read by this Christopher Ketchum?
4: Yes, he's a journalist.
0: He's a journalist, okay, great.
4: Yeah, and if anybody wants to record his blogs, I would be um, happy to...
1: We'd uh, love to.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. We would love to. We would absolutely love to. Yeah, that would be great.
1: We uh, we really? actually yeah, we oh, actually yeah. we actually wanted to ask but we didn't want to be like imposing. Oh, that
4: would be great. There's so many of them to pick and choose from.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that that would make us happy.
4: You got to wish us luck in the New York State Court of Appeals that they do recognize this as being a Brady violation and like I said the Brooklyn DA's office is trying to and that is Eric Gonzalez. He is trying to have the conviction reinstated.
1: I can't wish you enough luck, and I can't send you enough positive energy from here. You 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 do a remarkable job with everything you do with John and everything you do for prisoners who are currently incarcerated by accepting their letters and reading them and corresponding with them. I I can't wait for the day where we have you and John on here from the same room
4: oh wow I will be able to stop crying
1: <laughs> neither will Tim <laughs> that's, that's true
4: thank you for giving me this, this opportunity to be John's voice uh, this can happen to anyone and I want the people the public uh, to realize that this can happen to you based on zero evidence you could be dragged into court and accused of a horrendous crime with zero evidence, a juror hating you because he believed you were of Jewish descent, and the prosecutor hiding evidence that is favorable, coercing witnesses, and that's another thing, guys. Don't forget, everybody recanted but one person. They said they lied and why they lied. And next thing you know, you're in prison for the rest of your life. And you're on your knees begging the judges for a fair trial. And they ignore you. And Judge Alan Maris' son actually works for the Brooklyn DA's office. He is a district attorney. So in my opinion, I really don't think that Judge Alan Maris is going to rule against his son's boss. In addition, I would like to explain to the public that Judge Danny Chun decided to not give John bail based on the jury's unanimous decision to convict John back in 2005, which was a totally ludicrous decision because that verdict was Thrown out by the second department. The second department, the appeals department, threw out the conviction. And it was a unanimous decision to throw it out. So how can you base a ruling to not give John bail based on a jury's decision that was now null and voided?
1: I think that is an incredible point to make that not a lot of people think about. You You can be pulled over in your car on your drive home from work and you can be mistaken for somebody else or you could just be at the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody points a finger at you and then once you get into the legal system... If they realize they've made a mistake and it's going to affect their career, they can't they can't pull the reins back and reverse course on that. They have to keep seeing that through until the end. And all it is is really just another number to them at that point. And it, it's a great point you make that if you if you don't feel strongly about a cause like this, just think about that. Think about your kids. Think about you or your sister or your brother or your parents going through something like that and you know it's not the case and you know they're innocent, it's it's not as uncommon as people think it is. It's just not as reported.
4: Yeah. Why do you think they refuse DNA testing? Because it's going to prove them wrong. In my son's case, there is no DNA. It's a he said, she said yeah. case. It's zero evidence. But in those cases that there's absolute DNA why does prosecutors repeatedly deny the testing of DNA and then the judges agree? It's because it's going to prove them wrong. Just it should be automatic where you test the DNA. Don't you want the correct perpetrator off the streets? No, they don't. They want the conviction. If they believe they could get the conviction, that's what they're going to go for. And it's so hard for the American people to believe this. They say no. So many of us say prosecutors are not evil. They're just doing their job. They get tunnel vision. And it's, can I get the conviction? And if they realize that they got the wrong guy and they're so far in, then they push really hard for them to cop out, for them to plead guilty on a lesser charge. But at least on paper, it still shows that that prosecutor got the conviction. They'll do whatever it takes for you to plead guilty. Plead guilty, five years probation, plead guilty, three years probation. Just please plead guilty. I need the conviction. They'll do whatever it takes. It's sad, but that's all because of the incentive. Mm -hmm. We have to change that somehow. And it's, it's hard. Like I said, even if you, you're you a prosecutor with good intentions, eventually you're going to flip because you're going to be the low man on the totem pole. You're not going to have the raise. You're not going to climb the ladder.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a whole cultural shift needs to take place.
4: And a lot of them, which I even heard, they say, well, maybe he didn't do this crime, but I'm sure he did others. So he's just going to go down for this
1: one. (laughs) That's a reasonable thing to think. They
4: start playing God. They start to play God. He's a bad guy anyway. He did, you know, he has a racket. Um, You know, he's a thug. Maybe he wears uh, his pants hanging off his butt. He speaks trash, whatever. They make a judgment uh, based on looks, which we know. And uh, maybe a past record, but they don't they they are not for justice. They are not. It is all about convictions.
0: Best of luck. Um, Thank you. With the next steps, and we're here uh, anytime you want to talk, and uh, we're we are gonna keep fighting this with you, you know, as much as we can do, try to raise some awareness for the situation.
1: uh, Thank you.
4: And I'll update you when we get to court. It'll be in Albany. And um, I'll let you know if uh, John could hold out. You know, it's not easy. And mom just wants him home.
0: Totally. And uh, like I
4: said, I'm sure that uh, Mark Bedero and other lawyers are screaming now. Hold out. Hold out. You're going to win. And I do believe we are going to win. But when? Two years from now, three years from now, you know, John is getting close to 40. No, I want him home now. I want to be a grandmother someday. That's what they take from you. They take so much from you.
1: I'm always blown away at your energy and how you just, you just how exhausting it must be, but you keep going. With you know, not even 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 with your visits to John and experiencing Rikers with him. On top of that, understanding all of the legalese and all of the minutia of the different types of charges and what can be appealed and what should have been thrown out. It's just it's incredible.
4: Well, early on, I knew nothing. It's all about education, and it's all about your lawyer willing to put in the time to educate you. So I have to credit Mark Bedereau for that because he took the time to explain the law to me. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mom. I had to stop and take all this in and actually study it.
1: Well, that's really, really amazing. Mark Bedereau sounds like a champion for the cause and honestly can't wait to to meet him and talk to him as well.
4: Oh, that'll be great. Um, On just one other note, this is how malicious prosecutors are and the pressure they had to get the conviction, it was election year. And you know, prosecutors um, get elected if they're considered tough on crime. So this was a high publicized um, crime. So he had to get the conviction. After, you know, they they uh, committed this atrocious misconduct and... I was devastated. The press was outside. I was stunned that they came back with a guilty verdict within an hour and a half. My John's lawyer, Sam Gregory, told, gave me a message from Anna Sigour the prosecutor. And you want to know what that message was? Yeah. The message was for me to just be grateful she didn't take my other son.
1: What? How is that a? What is that a message of? In yeah. in reference to? What's the context of that?
4: Okay, so if anybody is following the story, my son back in two thousand and five had a party in my house with about eight kids. It was an uh, impromptu get together because there was a few kids that were stranded that needed to get back to college in. Um, In Jersey so anyway he brings them here to my house and my 16 year old son was upstairs sleeping so of course they're narrowing down who was at the party who wasn't at the party who heard what so she tried to say that my son Matthew was involved my 16 year old son and there was no other uh, mention of him as the time went on. But because she got the conviction on John and I flipped out in the courtroom, I screamed at the detectives. I said, I hope you're satisfied now. Look what you did. And the message came back. At, at first, I didn't quite absorb it. But then I realized it was a threat. Just be grateful I only took your one son. So in other words, it's that easy to get a conviction. You know how they say you can indict a ham sandwich? You can also convict a ham sandwich. You need nothing. You don't need any evidence. You need zero. And she even told the jury in her opening, this is not a trial of confession no dna no eyewitnesses so essentially she was telling them we have nothing we have he said she said so just be grateful i didn't take your other son she was showing me what she was capable of with zero evidence so i had to back down or else
1: or else she plucks another member of your family that's incredible correct yet another incredible
4: and i got God, I was I was stunned. My John's lawyer gave me the message. Anna Nicolazzi said, just be grateful she didn't take your other son. Talk about smugness. And I'm looking like, now I have to go hide in a hole and just be grateful she didn't take my other son? If a prosecutor does not like you because you're black, because you're Spanish, because you're pretty, you better run for your life because they have the judges on their side. They have, they could do whatever they want. They are not held accountable for their lies, their cheating, their serious misconduct, and they will get the conviction. And everyone knows it now. The public is becoming more and more aware because of podcasts like yours, They are becoming more and more aware of how the scales of justice are tilted. So hold on to your children, boys.